You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Today, I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this interview for a really long time. Uh, the get it done guy, uh, you may know him that way. Stever Robbins won't tell you this, but he's the get it done guy from the Quick and Dirty Podcast Network. Uh, he's been doing a bunch of things on just uh, blogs and podcasts. He's a graduate of MIT and Harvard Business School, which is quite a combination. He's passionate about helping people have and live into extraordinary lives. We're gonna talk much more about his shift from engineering and fixing things and uh, helping people in that way to really helping in the, um, in the personal development space. And extraordinary lives is a big thing. We're going we're gonna to dive deep into that. He's been on the initial team. I'm reading his bio and it's incredible. Uh, Stever has been on the initial team of nine startups, hosted a top 10 iTunes uh, business podcast for 12 years. He's authored three books. He's got a fourth one on the way. He's co-written a musical. He's a certified master trainer elite of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, trained as a hypnotist, and a swing dancer, I'm going to find out whether that's West or East, uh, managed the creation of the Quicken Visa card, the world's first downloadable financial statement, and <laughs> just had to read it that way, and helped redesign the Harvard MBA program. Um, so this slacker, I don't know why I wanted to bring him up. No, it's uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, Stever has been to Burning Man four times. Uh, he's He's now seriously considering learning how to weld because, you know, how else do you build a 50-foot sculpture? So, um, you know, here you go. Welcome, Stever. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is, uh, it's a delight. Uh, you and I were talking before we recorded, and there's so much going on in your world. Um, you've done quite a bit. You are, uh, you know, only 12 years old and you've accomplished all of this. It's incredible. Uh, <laughs> They're very long years, but there's only 12 of them. <laughs> um, so people don't accidentally become engineers and, you know, choose to go to MIT. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident. You also ended up at Harvard Business School. Or was it like you're laughing? So, um, believe it or not, both of them were accidents. I accidentally went to MIT. Is one of the best things. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, you want the story? I do. Yeah, I do. I'm daring you to ask for it. Uh, I want the story, Stephen. Tell me. I know we're recording this on video. Are people going to actually see this? Yes. Oh, okay, great. Hi, everybody. <clears throat> so uh, here's, here's how it works. I have a broad uh, podcast. Like people will listen to it. So if you describe, if you say something that's visual, or if you show me something, then you have to describe it because there are people that listen. And this is loaded to our YouTube channel as well. So yeah, you get to say hi, everybody. Exactly. All right. So this is this is going to be a pretty self-revelatory 
conversation because unfortunately, <laughs> I have no boundaries. Um, so as I was about to say- Well, you've come to, to the right place. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> in order to understand- um, in order to understand the MIT and the Harvard Business School stories, it is essential to know that I grew up in a traveling new age commune. And what I like to tell people, which is not a joke, is that I learned that it was not acceptable to wear a loincloth in public school from experience. I had to be told by the teacher to go home and put clothes on. Um, it was a pretty non-traditional upbringing. And as you can imagine, there's this trope of, oh, there are those kids on the other side of the tracks who you're not allowed to play with. Guess what? That was me and my sister. We know kids were not allowed to play with us because we were too weird. Um, I, I remember at one point we were living in Telluride, Colorado. First time I've ever told this story to anyone in public. We were living in Telluride, Colorado, and my father decided that he, it was a one-room school, or sorry, one-building school. It had 12 rooms, one for each grade. My father decided he wanted to come in and teach like psychic growth, helping the kids develop their psychic powers or something like that. And as you can imagine, somehow he convinced them to do it. I don't know what, I don't know how he pitched it to them. It was a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. And from that day forward, I didn't have any friends. <laughs> so that was the, that was the, yeah, that, that was that. Um, uh, but I grew up in a traveling new age commune and I discovered, uh, and I'm not going to say what year this was, because as we were also discussing beforehand, both of us revel in fighting tooth and nail against aging. Um, but I, I was one of the first human beings on the planet who experienced my adolescence on the internet. And I had made all of these friends and we're talking me as a teenager now, I, you know, this was when I was about 14, 15, I had made all these friends over the internet who I'd never met in person, and they all went to this school called MIT, which it was many years before I discovered it was pronounced MIT. And all I knew is these were these kids who I had met over the internet, and they were my friends, and I wanted to go to school with them. And that was 100% of my thought process in deciding to apply to MIT. Um, I was only vaguely aware that it was a good school. Um, I, I interviewed, I got in, I went. That was how I got to MIT. Um, in with respect to Harvard Business School, the story the story is similarly deep and carefully considered. I was at my my first job out of MIT. I was working for a company that had the best product in our industry. I mean, really the best product in our industry. It was fabulous, and we were going out of business. The first round of layoffs happened two weeks after I got there. And so I went to my manager at my one-year review and I said, you know, Nancy, I don't understand. How is it that we have the best product on the market and we're going out of business? And she looked at me and said wisely, to understand that, you need to understand marketing or strategy. And I said, Mark, well, I said, what do those words even mean? I'm an engineer. You know, I understand bits and bytes and things like that. What the heck is a marketing? And she said, yeah, you're going to need, you're going to need to go get an MBA to understand this. And I was like, okay, I have no intention of ever going back to school. I just happened to live, having graduated from MIT, I just happened to live halfway between MIT and Harvard. Um, for those people who are familiar with the geography of Boston and Cambridge, the two schools are only about two miles apart. And I lived right in the middle. So I was, I was a 20-minute walk from either one. And I was like, well, <clears throat> I don't really want to go back to school that badly, but there's a business school that's just a 20-minute walk away. 
So I wandered over to Harvard, went into the admissions office and said, I'd like to sit in on the class and see what this whole business school thing is like. And unlike MIT, <clears throat> Harvard Business School classes are highly interactive. They're all case discussion. And I watched this thing go on for an hour and I was like, oh my God, this looks like the funnest thing ever. And I can also get an MBA while doing this. I'm going to apply. So I applied. And I told my manager, I told my manager that I was thinking of applying and she said, you have to apply because if you get in, you can always say no. She's like, just preserve your optionality. She didn't say optionality. <clears throat> That's my grown up word that I'm using. Uh, and so I applied and got in and I still remember very vividly standing in my living room, uh, holding the acceptance letter from Harvard Business School. Although actually they had told me verbally two weeks previously that I had gotten in. Um, that's a whole other story in and of itself. And I was looking at this letter that said, congratulations, you've been admitted to Harvard Business School. And I called my boss and I said, you were wrong. I said, I grew up in a freaking trailer with a bunch of hippies and I'm holding an acceptance letter to Harvard Business School. There was no way that I can say no to this. And Amazing. that was Amazing. that was how I ended up going to Harvard Business School. But in neither case, interestingly enough, in neither case was the prestige of the institution at all a factor in my decision, which of course is ironic because the prestige of the two institutions has absolutely and utterly shaped my, shaped my life since I graduated from them. Amazing. That's amazing. Did you ever feel like you couldn't say what you wanted to say? Not because you didn't have the words, but because you weren't sure if it was okay to say them? You might have felt like you wanted more in your life, like you wanted more from your life. You're not alone. It's time to stop asking for permission to live and to step into who you deserve to be at home, at work, and in the world. There's a wonderful online group program. People just like you joined because they also felt like they wanted to do more, have more, and be more. The ache is real and the hope action and outcome, the breakthrough to success, that's all real too. Join the Powerful Presence program now. It's an hour a week for three months. Details are at PowerfulPresence.com. Go to PowerfulPresence.com to register today. PowerfulPresence.com. So, you know, you you went on to develop certain both products as well as uh, well, online products, things that, that people could download. And, and there are a lot of things that we're using every day, perhaps that, uh, that have your fingerprints on them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's because I don't always lick my fingers clean after I get into a couple. There you go. I mean, uh, like you've, you've done what I'm, I, you know, I am calling this back up the, uh, you did something with Quicken, which, I mean, everybody uh, has touched that at one point or other, if nothing more than to go, mm, I'm going to do it a different way. But oh, there's, <laughs> there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people using this thing. So, um, so what, yeah, that and so that and um, how did you get into doing the um, get it done guy thing? Can you talk about oh both of those? Yeah, those, those, those are two big questions. Okay, so the Quicken thing, let's be clear. When I was adding to it, oh, sorry. For those of you watching, very important life lesson. If you are within a thousand miles of a miracle, take credit for it, right? <laughs> 
And one of the things that you'll find in the business world is that everyone takes credit for the success of their organization, right? I work at Google. Well, who the frick cares that you work at Google? You didn't make Google what it is. Even Larry and Sergey or whatever their names are didn't make Google what it was. They were unbelievably extraordinarily lucky in timing, and they did a fabulous, fabulous job of taking advantage of that. Don't don't get me wrong at all about that part. But, you know, the there's this whole myth that people can predict the future. And now having been with nine startups, I will tell you the I can, I don't I don't know of any significant difference between the ones that succeeded and the ones that failed except for things that could not have possibly been predicted in advance. Because the thing that no one realizes is when a company is started, everyone thinks it's going to succeed. Otherwise, they wouldn't be betting on working there. Or they wouldn't be betting on funding it. So, you know, so to say, oh, you know, look, this person was this genius because they started the right company at the right time. Well, there were 500 other people who also started that same company at that same time. But the one who succeeded just happened to sit next to Warren Buffett on a plane ride or Bill Gates on a plane ride, and they got the contract that someone else didn't get. But, you know, I don't, and I don't want to denigrate anyone's hard work. I guess what my point is, is that people, is that all the people work. All the people do their best. All the people make good decisions. And my personal position is that luck is about 80% of the, of the ultimate outcome. And you can increase luck. And it is absolutely a matter of skill to both increase luck and then to take advantage of luck when it happens. Uh, and then, of course, the PR story is that it was not luck and that you didn't take advantage of random circumstance, but you had the whole thing planned out and you were a visionary, et cetera, from the future. So this is a long way of saying... <laughs> I joined into it when there were just 100 people there because I could see that it was going to grow up and to become the, the financial world-spanning behemoth. And the project that I ended up working on as my first management project out of business school was the Quicken Visa card. And all of us, remember, this was in a day when there were literally no downloadable statements. No one had ever even conceived of that idea. And this was, this was the idea that the group was formed to, to pursue. And... Um, and I assure you, we sat there and said, someday all statements in finance will all be downloadable in formats that, that haven't even been invented yet. Maybe, maybe a format called a, a, a transportable document file or something. I mean, I don't know, whatever it's, but, you know, and we saw the future and we said, we're going to capture that future. No, that was all bullshit. It was a random idea. We said, let's try it and see if we can get it to work. And it turns out it was the first downloadable statement. And now all the statements are downloadable. So um, so the secret to everyone watching is, yes, I'm going to lean in hard on that credential. <laughs> However, let's be clear. So many credentials are just, they're BS. Okay. Sorry. I don't know if I should be saying all of this. I, I love it. I, I, I think that's great, you know, because uh, no boundaries. It, it may be the first time that I've heard an engineer say that, you know, most of the path that was laid out was luck. You know, it's like, that's awesome. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull out another one of my credentials. A bunch of friends of, our, of mine and I, when we were in undergrad, this was my senior year at MIT, we were sitting around a table discussing where we were going to work after we graduated. And we literally were saying, we don't want to wear suits to work because this was back when engineers still mostly wore suits to work. We said, we don't want to wear suits to work. So let's found our own company where we can dress casually. And this was at Royal East Restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we were having, uh, we were sitting around you know, a big brunch table. There were about 15 of us. And we said, well, but what product are we going to sell? And we went around the table and each person gave their ideas. And we got to, 
to one friend of mine and he said, well, I've been working on this research project called TCPIP, which is this protocol that underlies this thing called the internet. And because it's public domain and publicly funded, we can just take the source code and build on top of that. This was before the phrase open source really existed. And we said, oh, okay, let's do that. $360 million later, FTP software, you know, was, was finally acquired by Novell or whoever acquired us, et cetera. But, um, and again, the, 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 that's, that's the real story. The story that the people who then went to work for FTP and staked their careers and professional reputations, they talk about what strategic geniuses we were and we foresaw the rise of the internet. No, we just didn't want to wear suits. And I, that's literally <laughs> why we do it. Right? And, and so... Look, this, you, is, this is huge because a lot of the work I do has to do with uh, you, you get to determine who you're becoming based on your values and what values you want to live into. And, you know, the values of, I don't want to be stuffy. I don't want to be forced to wear a suit and conform to some, you know, kind of random code or whatever allowed you to step into the place of, we're going to just start our own place. And, and, you know, this seems like a good place to start. You know, that's awesome. So, so let's bring that back in a few minutes because, because I lost touch with that going to Harvard Business School. And it has been decades, and I am still struggling to regain it. But we'll, <clears throat> we'll, we'll we, we can. That's a whole other deep psychological delve. Aren't you guys lo 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 looking and listening? Aren't you lucky that I have no boundaries? You're hearing stuff that no one else is going to tell you. This about is yourself. awesome. So okay, so FTP software. Um, if you used the internet between about 1986 and 1995, and if you were using it on an MS DOS or a Windows 3.1 machine, I, I believe, or Windows 95. Um, there was actually probably about a 60% chance you're using software that, that I wrote part of to access the internet. So, you know, for better or worse, not only can I claim to have been involved in the first downloadable statement ever created, but I can claim to be involved with I, I, one of the people who enabled personal computers to connect to the internet at all. All I can say is that after spending time on Twitter, I'm not convinced it was a good thing that we did that. But... <laughs> We did do it. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it was inevitable, right? It was going to happen whether you did it or someone else did it. And I'm glad you did it because uh, your perspective is, <laughs> is, is refreshing, actually. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I, actually, I, I truly appreciate the irreverence. It's, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> we did a thing. I, I'm an engineer. At heart, I mean that's how I think, and 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 I was not. I'm not only an engineer. I'm an engineer who wasn't socialized in mainstream culture. I didn't grow up. Right, the kids wouldn't play with me because I was too weird. So a lot of the the things we're taught to do in terms of how we delude ourselves about the way the world works, mm -hmm. right? I didn't get that. Those aren't part of my programming. So when I hear people say things like "Oh, work hard and you'll be successful." I look at this and I go, really? Are you serious? Like, do you do you actually understand how work works? Do you think that that Elon Musk has done three hundred thousand times as much work as I have to have the net worth? Actually, he has a net worth of more than three hundred thousand times my net worth. Um, like, like that's that's just ridiculous. Like, how could you how could you think that hard work generates success? My cleaning lady works harder than I've ever worked in my entire life, and I know how much she makes an hour, and I can do the math. 
And, and I know what her cost of living is because she lives in my same metropolitan area and I know what average rents are. There's mathematically no way that this woman is going to become a millionaire unless she does something else on the side, like invest in real estate or you know whatever. But, but I just look at that. And as an engineer, I say, last time I checked, the entire reason we invented the Industrial Revolution was so we wouldn't have to work hard and we could still get ahead. Like literally, that is the foundation for our current economy is the idea that it doesn't take hard work to get ahead. This so, is fabulous. The, so seriously, this is fabulous, right? Just blowing the the concept. One of the things that that uh, that I appreciate appreciate about you is the idea of uh, an exponential trajectory, and it's it's based on leverage, right? It's based on time leverage. It's based on money leverage. It's based on any of the resources we have, right? This is. And so as you develop, and I know there's more to your story, so I'll let you get back to it. I just wanted to interject and, and plug the idea of where you're headed with this, which is the whole extraordinary, li- extraordinary lives concept has to tie to the idea of it, it's not hard. It's, it's, it's not necessarily easy, but it's also simple right that it's it takes work you have to invest you know time to time and and other resources to learn it but once you've got it well time and resources and also effort you know i don't i don't say that 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 just because i don't believe that if you work hard that, that hard work and getting ahead are not correlated and i and i i think laziness is correlated with not getting ahead. Because if you're lazy, you'll tend to let opportunity pass you by. You won't jump on it. You won't contribute when when luck, when luck hands you an opportunity, you, you won't actually jump on it and do, do the opportunity thing. You won't necessarily have taken the time to develop the skills to have something to offer to the opportunity. So being lazy can really reduce your luck and reduce your chances to get ahead. But just working hard is not, in fact, I don't believe correlated with success. Um, awesome. It, does that make sense? Totally. It's, it's like, it's like totally. Um, yeah. Here's the. Do you know? Uh, I, I've referred to this before. There's a there's a small booklet called U Squared by Price Pritchett, and he, in it he talks about the. It opens with uh, him telling a true story. He's sitting in a mountain cabin. He's watching a fly buzz against the pane of the glass window, trying to get out. And he, he, his story is, unfortunately, the fly will die there because its only path is to try harder. And had it backed up and been able to gather the perspective it needed, it would have seen the open doorway just 10 paces away that would have allowed its escape. But instead, it pushes against the window pane and will die trying harder. And, and that's really, in a big way, what you're saying is, if you keep working really hard without having the perspective of, there are other pathways. There are so many other pathways available for you to get ahead. Um, you'll miss all that. You'll well, miss all that. And also, what do you mean by getting ahead, right? There's the getting True. ahead, which is more money. There's the getting ahead, which is having a happier life. There's the getting ahead, which is having deep and fulfilling relationships. And again, I'm a freaking engineer. So once upon a time, part of the way that I learned NLP, by the way, the neuro-linguistic programming, which is this, which is this pseudoscience 
which has been thoroughly debunked by modern science, despite the fact that the last 30 years of neurological research supports huge amounts of the NLP model. Um, <clears throat> but I'm very glad that it's considered a pseudoscience. So for those of you who are familiar with it, um, it is a great pseudoscience because what that means is I don't need to be licensed to practice it. So when I work with coaching clients and they're like, oh, I have these limitations that get in my way. And I'm like, close your eyes for a minute. Let's do a thought experiment. And then for some reason, those limitations go away. I'm just kind of like, yes, I'm so glad I didn't have to get licensed for this. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the reason that I got interested in NLP is I got to MIT and discovered that there were people who I wanted to be friends with. I can't believe I'm telling you all this. I've never told all these stories in one place at one time before. And some it, of them I don't think it, it happens on seriously. It happens here. It happens on one sharp sword. Welcome. That's because I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at the posters over your over your shoulder, and I'm going, "Wow, significance, factor, dynamic, power." I just have to say anything. So <laughs> I get to MIT, and um, that's my NLP. That's the that's the subtle suggestion, right? It's like exactly. right there. You go. There's also every few minutes my screen flickers and it says and it says say everything on it. I don't know where that's coming from. I'm assuming that's a Zoom thing that you have set up. And um, <laughs> all right, so I get to MIT and I'm this little geek who has never really had friends in my life because I was this weird hippie commune guy. And there are people I want to make friends with, and I notice I can't make friends with them. So, being a little geek, I my my thinking is ah. If I cannot make friends with people, I must go learn how to make friends with people. Here I am at MIT, the font of all knowledge in the world. Where can I make friends with people? Where can I learn how to make friends with people? The psychology department. So I literally went and took like every psychology class, <laughs> including things like psychopharmacology um, at MIT, solely 100% for the purpose of learning how to make friends. And I took an overview course that taught us like six different types, six different models of how how human interaction works and you know i forgot what they were called like you know relation element relationship theory and and um the humanistic psychology the carl rogers and uh cognitive behavior therapy all these things and i and, and i again i'm an engineer i care about results so i would go to class and i would walk out and i would see one of the people that i wanted to be friends with and i would be like how can i apply today's lesson to make friends and the answer was none of it worked and then i read this book about nlp and it talked about certain things having to do with language and how that helps people establish rapport. And I was like, well, can't hurt to try it. And I went out to one of those people who I had never been able to talk to before. And I used the technique in the book and it worked. Boom, we became friends. And I was like, isn't that interesting? And of course, there were two learnings there. One learning is, uh, although I am a big, big, big believer in research, and I believe that things that have been researched have a much higher likelihood of being true and accurate than things that have not been, research is not perfect. And sometimes research for one reason or another doesn't actually get at the truth. Um, and number two, that there are models of human cognition and psychology and linguistics other than the ones that are currently accepted by the academic world that seem to work better than what the academic world knows. So those became a foundation for a lot of future things uh, in my life was, was those ways of thinking. Love that. And that's another place we're congruent. You know, I went through uh, clinical psychology, right? Like my doctorate's in clinical psych. And along the way, it was like, there was so much, everything is anchored to the past and we must begin with your mother and your father. And, and for me, it was about positive psychology. It wasn't even called that when I started uh, leaning toward, look, something allowed you to survive and get to this place. There are strengths you carry with you. 
let's find out what those strengths are and let's leverage those, right? And that's that's a lot of the work I do. And and you know, NLP along the way, it's helpful. Like knowing it, knowing the principles of it, it's helpful. Uh, a lot of people misuse it. A lot of people wave it like a uh, a bat, you know, like <laughs> like beating people with this technique, you know, and um, which I do not, by the way. I'm not a I'm not a big gun. I'm not a big slam people over the head with the kind of thing. I use yeah. it in coaching as a, in a very um, a very targeted way. So you know, someone has trouble doing public speaking. Great, we can knock that out of the way, and then. And keep in mind, knocking someone out of the fear of public speaking is a separate stage of the process from then teaching them how to do it well. And this is something that I think a lot of the self-help world misses, is they concentrate on removing roadblocks. Super, super important, right? I'm, I'm afraid of water, so when we all go to the beach, I'm afraid to go in the water and play with my cousins, right? Great, we can knock out that fear. And by the way, there's a lot of ways other than NLP to do it too. There's, you know, the... Uh, uh, but we can knock the fear of water out. That doesn't magically teach me how to swim. So just because I'm now not afraid of going in the water doesn't mean that if I that I know how to go in the water safely. Um, nor does it mean, by the way, that I want to go in the water. It just means I'm not scared of the water anymore. And and so the motivation towards something is different from an emotional motivation towards something is different from an emotional block that is pushing you away from something. And both of those are different from actually having the skill to do the thing. And in our society, I think, especially in the self-help world, we, we conflate all three of those. And Very much so, very much so, yeah. Yeah, love that. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer Dr. Wayne Purnell. Be sure to tune into part two with Steve Robbins next week.